you join me in prayer as we come to God's word? Father, we do love you. We love your word and we're thankful for it. We pray that you would speak to us now through it, that the thoughts and intentions of our hearts would be exposed before you. We pray that in Christ's name, amen. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I believe that's the most important question that we can ask as we head into this fall season. Yes, it is the fall season. I'm glad you have shorts on. I wish I could be wearing shorts right now. It's a little bit hot up here. But what does it mean to follow Jesus? The answer to that question, how we answer that question, determines everything about our lives. It determines how we pursue our schoolwork. It determines how we pursue our housework. It determines how we pursue our work work. And if we're retired, it determines how we approach retirement. Now, when I was in college, I had a friend who claimed to follow Jesus. But his life showed otherwise. And so I prayerfully and lovingly came to him once, and I said, Brother, what's going on? You say you follow Jesus, so why are you living this way? And his answer was telling. He said, yeah, I believe all that. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the gospel. And I'll come back to that when I get older, when I settle down. But right now, I want to have some fun. And we may not articulate those same words, but that same way of thinking can permeate into our lives if we're not careful. So we can think, well, I just need to pursue this degree, and then I'll be all in for Jesus. I just need to get ahead in this way in my career, and then, yep, then, Lord, you have everything. Or I just need to get my retirement ready, and then I'll be there. Or once I'm in retirement, then I'll have all the time in the world and I'll follow you. Well, unfortunately, Jesus doesn't give us these options if we want to follow him. Today, we're going to be in Luke's gospel where Jesus clearly lays out what it means to follow him. So we're going to be in Luke 9, verses 23 to 27. And as you're turning there, let me explain where we're at in Luke's gospel. Let me get us up to speed. In the previous chapter, Jesus proves that he is Lord over creation when he calms a storm with his very words. Then he proves he's Lord over the demonic realm when he casts out a legion of demons from a man. Then he proves that he's Lord over sickness and death. When he heals a woman who has been sick for 20 years who no doctor could heal, he heals her on the spot. And he raises a young girl from the dead. And then he proves that he is Lord even over our most basic needs when he feeds the 5,000. And as this momentum is building in Luke's gospel, we see multitudes wanting to follow Jesus. We see movement and we wonder what's going to happen. And at that moment, Jesus asks his disciples who they think he is. 
And at this moment, Peter actually gets it right. He says, you're the Christ. You're the Christ of God. You're the Messiah. And at this moment, when the momentum is building, you think, you don't know what's going to happen. What is Jesus going to do next? And he does something very curious. He says, be quiet. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone that I'm the Messiah. Why did he do that? Because the disciples' view of what the Messiah was is far different than Jesus and what he was planning to do. See, the disciples thought the Messiah was going to be a political deliverer. The the Messiah was going to be someone who would restore Israel to the levels that they were at before at at David and, and King Solomon's time. But Jesus blows those expectations out of the water and he says, no, that's not what's going to happen. Actually, I'm going to be rejected and be killed by the Jewish leaders and then I'm going to raise from the dead three days later. So as we approach our passage this morning, the disciples' expectations have just been shattered. And Jesus calls to all around him. He says to all, anyone who wants to follow him, any of those multitudes, he says, come listen to what it means to follow me. And if you're here this morning and you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, you have to listen in. So let's read the text together. Luke 9, 23 to 27. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So here Jesus, the one with all authority, all power, he holds heaven and earth in his hands. He lays out what it means to follow him. And he gives us some conditions to follow him. And I've summarized those two conditions in this way. He calls us to a complete surrender. And he calls us to a complete perspective. We need to understand the full perspective. So first, in verse 23, Jesus calls us to a complete surrender by issuing three commands, three simple words that pierce to the very core of who we are. He says, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross daily and follow me. These words are so important that we have to look at them each in their order and understand what they mean. So first, to follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself. If we want to understand what this means, we have to first understand what it does not mean. Denying yourself does not mean going on a diet. Denying yourself doesn't mean fasting from Starbucks or the internet or TV. It doesn't mean going to the French market in downtown Wheaton. If you've ever been there and you know the donut shop, 
you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't mean going to that donut shop and saying, no, no more of those donuts. Now, God may be calling you to do some or all of those things. I don't know. But that's not what Jesus is calling us to here. He's calling us to something far greater. He's saying, you need to deny yourself. You need to deny everything about yourself, your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions. I want it all. I want everything and I require everything from those who want to follow me. Why does Jesus issue such a harsh command? I mean, does he not want us to have any fun? Does he want us to be miserable? Well, of course not. He issues us this command to deny ourselves so that we can gain him. The Apostle Paul understood this very well. So in the, his letter to the Philippians, he says, Indeed, I account everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. You see, Jesus knows that we cannot serve two masters, so we have to surrender the lesser, which is ourself, so that we can get the greater, which is Jesus himself. We surrender the lesser to get to the greater. So what does it look like to deny ourselves? Well, I know a couple who are empty nesters. Their kids have gone off to college and they were ready to enjoy their golden years. If you're about to be an empty nester this morning because your son or daughter's going off, it's okay to cry right now. It's okay. We understand how you're feeling. But this is a time that the world says this is a time to enjoy your life. You've saved up for retirement for this very reason. But God called them in this moment to adopt. Adopt two boys from the majority world. An elementary aged boy and a middle school aged boy at age 60. And they gave up their freedom and they gave up their chance to visit grandkids as often as they would like. And they even gave up their safety because these boys were somewhat harmful to them at times. Why would someone do that? Only because they had denied themselves and they saw that gaining Christ was far better than anything that the world said they could have during those years. Jesus' call to self-denial is hard because it cuts against the very fabric of our being. But if you notice, this call isn't for the super-Christian. This isn't the call for the super-spiritual or those who are going overseas to pioneer missionary work. Not that they are the super spiritual ones anyway. But this is a call to anyone who wants to follow Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, you must deny yourself. So I ask you this morning, have you denied yourself? Have you surrendered the rights to your life and said to Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I will do. Or are you trying to fit Jesus into your life? If you want to follow Jesus, you can't do the latter. You have to do the former. We have to deny ourselves. After self-denial, Jesus calls us to take up 
our cross daily. Now, when we hear the word cross, we hear redemption because of what Christ has done on our behalf. But Jesus' original audience would never have heard anything positive with taking up your cross. When you took up your cross, you took up a a metal uh, bar and you walked across the city because you couldn't be crucified in the city. You had to walk a shameful walk saying that I'm a criminal of the state and I am condemned to die. Roman citizens were not even crucified normally in this time because it was too shameful of a death. It was reserved for the lowest of criminals. And Jesus uses this metaphor to say what we need to do to follow him. We need to take up our cross. So when Jesus calls us to take up our cross, he's calling us to endure ridicule and shame, to willingly identify with him, no matter what it costs. In the classroom, or in the boardroom, or in our neighborhood. And this isn't a one-time deal. This isn't a, I'm going to stand up for Jesus now, and then in six months I'll do it again. He's saying you have to take up your cross daily. Why does he say that? I believe it's because he knows that we're going to be tempted not to do it. But what kind of person would do this? Willingly endure Shame, mockery, and insult because of Christ. Only someone who has been transformed by his grace. Only someone who is headed down a hell-bound path when Jesus came and snatched him out or her out. Only if you have been transformed by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ will you take up your cross daily. Have you been transformed in that way by Christ? Has he captivated your attention so much that you are willing to endure anything for him? Are you willing to take up your cross daily? If not, perhaps this morning you have to take a fresh look at who this Jesus is and why he is worth being served in this way. So following Jesus requires complete surrender. First, by denying ourselves. And second, by taking up our cross daily. Then he calls us to complete surrender by simply following him. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to listen to his word and to obey it as the one who is our Lord and master, not as one who we can take his words as something we'll maybe obey or say something maybe we won't obey. We follow Jesus by stepping out in faith and obedience to his word. Throughout Luke's gospel, we see two different responses to people when Jesus calls them to follow him. So in Luke 5, he calls Levi the tax collector. And the text says that Levi jumped up and immediately followed Jesus. He left behind everything to follow him. But then in Luke chapter 9, later on in our passage, we have a tragic response. Jesus says, follow me. And a man says these words. He says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my house. 
I will follow you, but. And I wonder if some of us are there today. Lord, I will follow you, but I just got to finish the degree. I just got to get ahead at my job. Just got to wait till the kids grow up. I wonder this morning if you're more like Levi when Jesus calls, you respond enthusiastically and immediately. Or you're more like the other man who says, yes, I'll follow you, but which one are you this morning? When Jesus calls us to follow him, he requires complete surrender. This means you'll lose your life. You surrender the rights to your life. But what we gain in Christ is so much greater that it's almost as if it's not a sacrifice because Jesus is worth it. And Jesus is life. He is not just the way to life. He is life. When I was in college, I had the opportunity to work at Michael Jordan's basketball camp. Now, those of you who are young, Michael Jordan is a very good basketball player. (laughs) And he used to play in this city in the Chicago area. It's the greatest of all time, I believe. And this was a dream come true to someone whose hero was Michael Jordan growing up. In fact, I got paid to work this. I would have paid to go to that camp. I would have scrubbed toilets. I would have done anything just to be around Michael Jordan, just to play against him, just to get his autograph. How much greater when the king of heaven and earth calls you and says, come, follow me, be with me. I jumped at the chance to be around Michael Jordan. But the king of heaven and earth is calling you and I to follow him. What an opportunity. Our life, a small price to pay to gain Christ. So what does Jesus require to follow him? First, complete surrender. But then as we continue in the passage, we see that following Jesus requires a complete perspective We need to see the full picture because if we only hear those words from Jesus, maybe we don't, we won't want to follow him. And I think Jesus anticipates this and he gives reasons for his call in the following verses. So in verse 24, Jesus says this, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Here Jesus shows us the folly of living for ourselves. He presents two ways to live. The first way to live is to save your life now. It's the opposite of what we've been talking about so far. It means you live your life for yourself, for your dreams, for your ambitions, apart from Christ. If you do this, Jesus says you will actually lose your life. You will lose it for all eternity. Eternal separation from him. And despite Jesus' warning, everywhere you look, people are trying to save their lives. It's what our culture and our world is all about. Getting more prestige, getting a better job, saving more money, earning more money. Jesus is saying if we forfeit our souls, we will forfeit our souls when we pursue a self-indulgent life apart from Christ. The second way to live involves walking the narrow road. It's the way that we've been talking about. 
denying yourself, taking up your cross, following him. And if you live this way, Jesus says, you will save your life. You will live with him forever. You will experience the riches of his glory, both forever and right now. It is the abundant life to follow after Christ. The lie of the world says, have fun now, follow Christ later. The truth of the scriptures and the truth of Christ is follow me now. Deny yourself, follow me now. That's true life. I wonder which storyline you are believing right now. In verse 25, Jesus elaborates on the folly of not denying yourself. He says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. When you live for yourself, you may accumulate a lot of things. You may accumulate power. You may accumulate prestige. You may accumulate cars and houses and boats. But what is it worth? Is it worth your very soul to forfeit yourself? Here again, we need the perspective of Jesus. Our life is but a breath. How are we going to spend it for eternity? If we live for ourselves, we will forfeit it for eternity. After pointing out the folly of living for yourself, Jesus points out the folly of not taking up your cross in verse 26. So he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You see, being ashamed of Jesus is the opposite of taking up your cross. When you take up your cross, you're willingly identifying yourself with him no matter what. And when you're ashamed of Jesus, you are not willing to identify with Christ. You actually shrink from identifying with Christ at every opportunity. And the results and the consequences of that decision are eternal And they're tragic because it says that Jesus will be ashamed of you when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. And why will Jesus be ashamed? Because our lives reflect the true condition of our heart, that we never knew the Savior. We never knew him. Some of the most chilling words of all scripture is when Jesus tells people, depart from me. I never knew you. If we are ashamed of Jesus in a persistent way, we may hear those words. When we think about his return, the return of Christ, it is glorious. And so in verse 26, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, which is surely a reference to Daniel 7 where we get a picture of this heavenly being that's presented to God the Father. Jesus is identifying himself as the Son of Man. And perhaps this morning, you need to get a fresh perspective of who this is that calls you to deny everything and follow him. So let's read from Daniel seven thirteen and following. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days. 
and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. I wonder if you have this picture of Jesus in your mind when you think about denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. If not, we have another picture in the next verse. When Jesus says, I tell you truly, in verse 27 of Luke 29, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. There's a lot of interpretations on this verse, but I believe he's re- that Luke is referring to and Jesus is referring to the transfiguration. When Jesus took three of his disciples and showed him his glory on the mountain, he's giving them another picture of who this Jesus is. You remember Peter up on the mountain? He didn't know what to do. It was so amazing, so majestic. He's like, hey, let's, let's build a tent for Moses and Elijah. Because he was overwhelmed by the glory of Jesus. As you think about following Christ, do you have the picture of Daniel 7, the Christ of Daniel 7 in your mind? Do you have the picture of the transfiguration in your mind? If we see Jesus for who he is, no price, not even our life, is too great to follow him. That brings us to the big idea of our passage, which is this. To follow Jesus, you must die before you can truly live. That's what this passage is showing us. To follow Jesus, you must die to yourself before you can truly live. And those who have gone before us have understood Christ's call to follow him is so worth the cost. So hear what David Livingston, a pioneer missionary to Africa, said to Cambridge students when, you know, he had lost everything according to the world to go to Africa. But he came back and he talked to Cambridge students about his leaving England and all the benefits he gave up. He said this, for my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa He goes to detail what some of those things are. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life that may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink, but let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared to the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. And then he says these words. I never made a sacrifice. In light of the glory awaiting us in Christ, giving up our lives is a small sacrifice. It's a pebble in the ocean. He is worth everything we have to offer. Do you believe this? Do you believe this in the core of who you are? Let me close with a quote from a famous graduate from across the street. This quote comes from these very verses. It says, he is no fool who gives 
what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Of course, that's from Jim Elliott. I wonder this morning, have you given up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose? Have you given up your life to gain Christ? If you see him for who he is, how can you not? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the penetrating nature of your word, how it pierces to the very fabric of our beings. Lord, I, I pray that this morning, some who have started to go down a different path to, to forsake you, Lord, would come back. And others that maybe are realizing right now they've never followed you. They've never denied themselves and come to you. Help them to see the beauty that you offer, that you offered when you gave yourself for us as a ransom for our sin. You took the shame and the punishment of our sin upon yourself. And Lord, help us to receive this free offer to come to you empty-handed and to follow you, Lord. May we be people who follow you, who shine as bright lights in this dark world for Christ. May we do that for your glory. Amen.